3: Visit LiveNation.com concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars. Oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
4: I'm Davis Miller, author of the acclaimed international bestseller, The Dow of Muhammad Ali. We're going to share with you some of the ways Ali transformed my life and the lives of innumerable others while we deeply explore what few people who never met Ali realize. That during the second half of his life, his years away from the public eye, Muhammad Ali became an even greater man than he'd been during his time as a boxer. Maybe you're wondering, why this strange title, The Tao of Muhammad Ali? Well, the Chinese word Tao means way or path. Think of this simply as the way or the path of Muhammad Ali. Living in the Tao is living in harmony with nature, with the natural world. My great friend Ali was the most natural person I've ever known, the most natural man I've ever seen, who throughout his life moved with his own flow, riding his own personal (laughs) path. His own stream. And I want to confide in you how I've spent a good chunk of my own life following the path that Ali started me on. But before I do, let's hear from Ali himself about whether the cost he paid for that influence was worth it. Here our story begins, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. Episode 1, Paradise Lost.
5: I look at all of my world fame, the people I'm helping. I look at all that I've done, everything, physical and non-physical, and I've added all up. I'm gonna do it all over again.
4: Muhammad Ali saved my life. He continues to save my life even today. He saved it and transformed it and enlarged it many, many, many times over. When I first saw him, he was young and glowing and was in process of becoming king of the world. I, on the other hand, was this puny, skinny, sickly little white kid in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. My mom had died just a few months before of a kidney disease that we didn't know was fatal. And I blamed myself for her death. I shut down. I was hugely depressed, catatonically depressed, didn't talk hardly at all. And I also quit eating and taking fluids. I was so miserable and sickly, I had to be admitted to the hospital where I was pumped full of fluids until I had some strength back. The first time Ali saved my life was when I got out of the hospital. I was sitting in front of my dad's little black and white TV, flipping channels. Suddenly, I landed on this voice and this face, and the voice said, I'm young and handsome and fast and pretty and can't possibly be beat. And it lit me up. I felt like the glory train had passed through me. Suddenly, I was no longer miserable, at least in those moments. In the moments of hearing the voice and seeing the face, every word that came out of his mouth was music. It was lyrical, and I wanted music to live inside me. I wanted to be music. In addition to the music, it was Ollie's bombacity that I connected with, that's not the way everybody else thought of Ali. He was possibly America's most despised person, at least by white folk. I wasn't one of those white folk. I mean, I'm as white as white can be, but internally I wasn't. I was different and Ali gave me a path to follow. All through my high school years, I lived vicariously through Ali. I was the smallest kid in school. My nickname was Fetus. At 16, I was four foot 10, weighed less than 70 pounds. I was pushed into lockers and locked up inside them, shoved into the girls' restrooms, punched in the belly, or ignored. But no matter what kids did to me, I had this safe place inside me where I was the great Ali. Other geeky kids like myself live curiously through the Flash, Superman, the Green Lantern, Batman, the mighty Thor. But for me, the man, the one man was Muhammad Ali. No matter how kids treated me in school, though, I wanted to be one of them. I wanted to be seen as cool. And the coolest kids in my high school were the ones who were also the stupidest. So I went out of my way to make myself stupid. I'm almost 20 years old, and I graduated third from the bottom out of a class of 1,500 kids. (laughs) I flunked everything that could be flunked. I even flunked PE. And despite the fact that I flunked English four years in a row and even had two senior years in high school, I became a writer. (laughs) I became a writer because of my man, Ali. After high school, I had no ability, no interest in anything other than being an Ali fan. So I decided I'm going to become Muhammad Ali Jr. And I went into training. At 20 years old, by that time, I was probably 85 pounds. I'd grown to my full adult height of 5'7", woohoo, and I couldn't even do a single push-up. Yet within six months of hard grinding work, I was doing 500 to 1,000 push-ups a day. I was running five miles a day. And I was spending hours of each day living as if I could become Ali Jr. I was doing up to 10 rounds a day on the heavy bag, on the speed bag. I'm doing 10 rounds of shadow boxing, sparring everybody who would spar with me. My puny little self working toward becoming a great fighter. Now, of course, I never made it, but I thought that I could. And the effort changed me both inside and out. I was in the flow. I didn't so much want to hurt people or get hurt as it was a kind of marriage, a way of getting closer to people. I patterned everything I did after Ali. I had his snake lick of a jab. I got to where I could throw a beautiful lead right hand. I could throw five to six punches per second. Man, I was full of beans. I thought I was something. And it would take me years to find out that I wasn't. But during the time I thought I was something, I had a karate buddy, Bobby. He was Ali trainer Angelo Dundee's nephew. He knew I was this huge Ali fan. Bobby said, why why don't you drive up to training camp in Deer Lake, Pennsylvania? Ali is training to fight Joe Bugner for the World Heavyweight Championship, and I'll see if I can get you in the ring with him. And I didn't believe he could do that, but I wanted to see Ali in person anyway. So I hop in my old Camaro and I drive 600 plus miles from Winston-Salem, North Carolina to Deer Lake, Pennsylvania the furthest I'd ever been from my dad's house. And I go up to Ali assistant trainer, Drew Bundini Brown, and I tell him who I am, who sent me. And I ask, is there any possibility that Ali will get in the ring with me? And the next thing I know, I'm in a dressing room pulling on this pair of red Everlast trunks I bought just for this occasion. I hear his voice from outside the dressing room. He's already in the ring and he's talking to the maybe 75 spectators who each paid one dollar to watch him train. He introduces me to the crowd as this great karate master. And I wasn't great at anything, but it sure felt good that he said I was. And I step out of the dressing room and climb awkwardly up into the ring, parting the ropes, trembling all over this huge... God of a man is standing in front of me, looking so beautiful, copper-colored skin, and amazingly fit. Before the bell rang, I was so nervous, I thought I was going to pee in my trunks. The bell rings, and I start dancing to the left in exactly the style I learned from Ali. Now, suddenly, I'm not nervous. I zing a jab out toward him. He pulls away effortlessly. I'm trying my best. What can I hit this guy with that he's never seen before? So I vault a front kick toward his face and he pulls away as easily as if he's been pulling away from kicks his entire life. Man, he's just toying with me. He sticks out a long, white-coated tongue and he goes and he sits back on the second strand of ropes where his head is almost level with my own now. And he waves me in with this brisk flick of his gloves. And I fake a jab, throw a kickboxing shot, a spinning back fist. And I hook off it and tag him with another back fist. I caught him with all three punches. That was too bad for me. (laughs) Because it woke him up. And his eyes got round and wide. And he throws one fly swatter jab at me. buckles my legs, and I can't see, and I can't hear. My legs go to slow turtle soup beneath me. And he knows he could knock me out with a single shot, of course. Instead, he drapes a long arm across my shoulders and speaks to me tenderly. No man had ever spoken to me that kindly before, other than my own father. And he says, you're fast. You sure can hit to be so little. He may as well have said he was adopting me. What can I possibly say that would impress the world's most famous and admired man? He had just told me I was fast and that I hit hard. What can I do? And I hesitate. And then I say, I know.
3: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 seconds to Mars, Owen oh, Two Door Cinema Club.
4: Well, here we are. We're with my friend and co host Craig Mortali, Emmy award winning producer and pal of Muhammad's. Craig produced a documentary called Muhammad Ali, Still the Greatest, which won the Cable Ace Award for Best Sports Documentary. We are the odd couple, Lemon and Math Al. (laughs) We are the odd couple, aren't we? we're, We're distinctly different guys, but I think that our point of connection is with Muhammad. He let both of us into his life.
7: Well, many people over the years covered Muhammad as a matter of journalism. There are others over the years long before us when he was fighting that got to be close to Muhammad. And I think he only let you close if he enjoyed your company.
4: This is a terrible time in the world for young men. The people that they have as role models are not the best folks out there. Young men are really struggling with their violence, with sort of a dead end life and not knowing where to go. You and I were lucky, Craig Mortali. We were extremely lucky to have found Muhammad Ali and we were extremely lucky to have had good parents. Let's give it back to those kids in the current generation.
7: We are now joined by someone who has a deep personal connection to Muhammad Ali, the former heavyweight champion of the world, James Buster Douglas, along with his longtime trainer and best buddy, John Russell. James was a 42-to-1 underdog against the seemingly invincible Mike Tyson. Buster knocked out Mike Tyson in the 10th round in Tokyo, Japan, February 11th, 1990. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast.
8: Thank you.
5: Thanks for having me.
8: When we were in Tokyo getting ready to fight Tyson, so he, James puts his trunks on, then he puts his shoes on, and I looked down at his shoes, he's got those red tassels on. Red
5: and white tassels.
8: I said, man, he goes, Ali, Ali, man. Ali, 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 he wore them for Ali.
5: It was the undisputed heavyweight champion And it was first and foremost Thinking about your idol Muhammad Ali Let your hands go Be quick and sharp And showing the world
8: You had to emulate Ali And Buster looked up to Ali He had to move like Ali And use that jab Ali was a big part of that win for us A big part of that win Thank you
7: on the flight out to Tokyo, you had a copy of Sport Magazine, which had Davis's article, Mike Tyson can be beat. Iron Mike's legend may be invincible, but he's not. You had a copy of that, and you
8: shared it with Buster, playing right, I had had the magazine, and I had read that, and I was like, what the hell is this guy? He actually n- knew what he was talking about. I said, Jesus. So I read the article a couple times, matter of fact, and I said, I'm going to show this to James. Because a lot of what we have been preparing to do for three months, right, James? Right. So he read it, and, and then we both read it together. And I said, it's kind of amazing.
5: Right, showed his
8: knowledge. Yeah, he did. Dave, Davis knows what he's doing. But we're, hey, James, we're not giving him no money, are no. we? We're not going to give him no money for well, that. No, we're not all right, cut all right. him in, but uh, <laughs> we knew that he was Yeah, punt. we'll give him some credit. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, no, Davis, he knew what he was talking about. I was confident in Buster, but did I tell you we were gonna beat Mike Tyson? No, I'd be lying because nobody was beating him, right? But I had confidence in James. I said, You gotta get by the first two rounds, and then by the sixth round, he came back to the corner. I said, We got him.
7: Buster, take us to the tenth round, that final flurry of punches, and then you've dropped Mike Tyson.
6: Landing these Oh, uppercuts, Mike Buster does it!
5: I dropped him. Once I seen him reaching for the mouthpiece, I knew he was hurt then, and I knew it was over. I raised my hand. Buster
7: Douglas is the new heavyweight champion
5: of the world. A childhood dream come true, you know, winning the heavyweight championship of the world. That's something that you always dream of as a child growing up, and that was my moment, and I got it. I'll never forget it.
7: You were in the corner, and just before John was taking your gloves off, you noticed the camera was pointing right at you, and you mugged for the camera
5: <laughs> right. with
7: your mouth open and your hands up. Were you feeling Ali then?
5: Yeah, that was that was the moment. I did it, you know, like mugging for the camera, like, what's my name? <laughs>
7: <laughs> John, not long after the Tyson fight, you and Buster went to go see Ali, and he revealed his reaction to the fight.
8: Yeah, we went to this event and Buster was a guest and Ollie was a guest. We got together and then Ollie invited us up to his hotel suite. So Buster and I went up and we're talking back and forth and Ollie says, You want me to show you guys what I did when you knocked out the brat? He called Tyson the brat. Not Tyson, (laughs) he called him the brat. So he sat down on the couch and then he's like, he's watching TV like this. And then when Buster knocked him down, Ollie got up off the couch and jumped with his hands straight up in the air and screamed. And he goes, that's what I did when you knocked out the brat. Then he goes, I want you to do me a favor. Buster says, what's that? I want you to have Don King cut his hair. And Buster said, what? Yeah, he says, you can tell him you'll go back with him if he cuts his hair. And he'll do it because there's too much money involved. Just please do me that favor. He was serious. He said, please do me that favor. Then we sat there and we were talking. He looked over at me and he goes, Look what Buster did to Tyson. He says, what do you think I would have done to him? He was very adamant, but he was funny as hell. He was really happy for James. He was happy as heck for James.
5: And that was was one of the most exciting moments of my career. Mine too. I moved him. You know, my skills and talent just shocked him. Moved him and impressed him. That was a moment that I always remember the rest of my life.
7: What were you thinking when you saw your hero out there persevering through his illness?
5: how strong he was, how he endured, and he continued to push on. You know, he lived his life all the way to the end. He never gave up. Stand-up human being and a proud black man.
8: We still talk about him. I say a week doesn't go by that we don't have a conversation about Ali. That's what kind of drew me to Davis because of Ali, because of his relationship with Ali and how much Ali liked him and all that stuff. That drew me to him. That, honest guy God, that drew me to Davis.
4: James, man, I really liked hanging with you way back in 1990. I remember you told me the one thing you learned from Ollie was to be kind to people. I learned that from him, too. I was a shy, messed up kid who never talked to anybody. And Ollie inspired me as a kid. But then when I got to know him as a grown up, as an adult, that's something I really picked up from him. If I go take my kids to the drive-thru, I talk to whoever's behind the counter. I throw Ali's name in a lot. I'll say every once in a while, you know, I was friends with Muhammad Ali. And what he would say to you right now is he'd say, you are the prettiest. You are the greatest. Believe it and get out there and be it.
5: It lights people up. Do
4: you feel that it
5: had that effect on you? Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. That's that's something that you can take with you on meeting Ali and being around Ali is to be humble and more outgoing, be more accepting to a lot of people that you may have not normally be like that. Absolutely. You know, there's something that you gain that you get from Ali, being around Ali, being in his presence. He treated almost
4: everybody like family. Every once in a while, he'd shy away from somebody. I trust his instincts on that. But for the most part, it was like he did with you guys. You know, it just rubs off on you. He treated people as if they really mattered and if they were part of his family and they were part of him.
5: You had a strong presence, larger than life.
4: I want to tell you my story of what happened after you knocked out Tyson. Everybody in the world started calling me. I worked out of the house and I had a phone upstairs back in the days when, you know, there were no cell phones. Everything was still plugged into the wall and the phone up in my office was ringing. The phone downstairs was ringing, and then it kept ringing upstairs, kept ringing downstairs. I was in bed asleep. I woke up, and I answered the phone downstairs, and it was my wife's brother. He said, Tyson just got knocked out. Douglas just knocked out Tyson. I turned to my wife, and I said, the brat just got knocked out. Then I went upstairs and checked on my phone in my office and it was all lit up. And I started playing back the messages. It was one from my editor at Sport Magazine. Call me, Davis, this is great. You can't imagine the timing on this that you had that had to beat Mike Tyson piece. And then Douglas knocked him out. And then like the fourth or fifth message, there was his voice. And the voice said, they still going to compare Tyson to me now? And it was Muhammad. It was the same thing as when you met him in that hotel room. And so when I met you, I felt that connection, too. You were the same size as Muhammad, which is another thing that was part of how you were just made to order to whoop Tyson's ass. Not only the jab, but you had that reach, so mobile, the beautiful right hand, the beautiful uppercut. You had it all, all the tools, and you put them
8: together in that fight on that night. Total focus. Ali was, to me, was the greatest fighter of all time. And I think the only person that that was close to him was Sugar Ray Robinson. Ali was the best of all time. And James one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. He's just a special individual. He's caring. The whole time I've known him, I saw him mad, like maybe once. We rode Harleys together. So he had rode up to my house. I lived in Akron. He lived in Columbus. And I was going to go over to my aunt and uncle's to see my mom. My mom was over there. James, you want to go? He says, yeah, let's go. So we went over. It was my mother, my aunt, and my uncle in the house, all elderly. And so me and Buster rode our bikes, went in the house. We had talked for quite a while. And my aunt says to my mom, she goes, man, those two guys are good friends. And she goes, no, no, they're... They're brothers. And that's him. That's how he is. Till my uncle died and he lived to be like two months from 100, and my aunt said every time someone come in that house and sit on that couch, he would look at them and say, that's exactly where Buster Douglas sat. That's Buster Douglas. That's Buster Douglas. One of the nicest men I've ever met in my life.
4: He is a completely sweet man, James. And I felt that on you from the moment I first met you. It's a gift.
5: Well, it was something that I only got from Ali, but my mother and father as well. They were very charitable people growing up. Our house was one of the central spots in the neighborhood where the kids came and hanged out at. And my father worked at the rec center as well, boxing instructor when I started boxing back in the early 70s. So it was just something that carried over from there. And then me and Ali just took it to another level. Because here it was, all-time idol. It was just as nice and kind and generous man as my parents. It was just a natural jail. I'm back at Columbus Parks and Rec. Boxing instructor at in the same department that I started my amateur boxing career. at. Same program and doing what my, my father did when I was 10 when he introduced me to the sport.
8: He's keeping those kids off the streets is
5: what he's doing.
8: They love him. Right. Got guys coming in there, homeless, younger guys, and he takes them under his wing, gives them money, feeds them, and they come every day to see him. They come every day to see him. And then their mother will call James and thank him for what he's doing for those guys. He's a good human being. That's what he is.
5: Because I can see now the work that my father did back then, I run into individuals that was training with me as a kid that are productive citizens today. And they say how my father was a great influence on them as well. Billy Dynamite Mike Douglas. And, you know, that's a great, great feeling. Full circle.
1: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
4: On our next episode of The Tao of Muhammad Ali, at 23 years old, I fall in love for the first time. I fall hard. And when Lynn and I decide to get married, I realize I can no longer play around at being Muhammad Ali Jr. Not anymore. Commitment, responsibility, a new path, alive with mystery, responsibility, and disappointment. How would Muhammad Ali play into all this? Stay tuned to find out. Also.
8: You had some really incredible questions, and it took me back.
4: Muhammad's daughter, Rashida, unveils stories about her fun-loving father during his later years.
8: The questions made me cry, but also it just made me remember how his special daddy was to all of us and my kids and how he's missed every day.
4: Next time on The Dow of Muhammad Ali. The Tao of Muhammad Ali is produced by Imagine Audio for iHeart Podcast and hosted by me, Davis Miller. My co host is Craig Mortali. Carl Welker, Mark Bouch, Nathan Clokey, Davis Miller, and Derek Jennings are the executive producers. Sound design and mixing by Juan Borda, music by DJ Spar, and introducing Isaac Miller. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and review the Tao of Muhammad Ali on Apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast.